Well, we're at Daniel chapter 10 still, and uh, <clears throat> we'll complete Daniel 10, but not really. We're going we're gonna to get to only one part of two parts I wanted to get to tonight. Uh, but I felt like the, it was important to focus attention on both because I'll need more time for the section dealing with Iran and Persia because it's also going to lead us into chapter 11 anyway. So uh, I'm going to reserve that for the next time. But uh, we're going to start reading at verse 12. I'm just going to pick up over, over some material we've already covered here in Daniel chapter 10. And, and remember now that, um, that in Daniel chapter 10, da- uh, Daniel was, was praying. Now he's about 90 years old and, and he began to pray for Israel, his people. And there was this tremendous spiritual battle going on. For three weeks he prayed. And an angel comes to him, Gabriel, and tells him that, uh, in effect, he was, he was delayed because he was in battle with the prince of Persia, another supernatural uh, entity, as it were, uh, a demon, more than likely. And we talked a little bit about that last time when we concluded. But all of this brought Daniel to a tremendous place of unrest in his heart and in his life. And he was without peace because of what he was learning of this prophecy that was that he was receiving about his people Israel and the city of Jerusalem. So in verse 12, which is where we're going to start, this, this angel said unto him, it says, Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel. Now those words are very, very significant in that he's bringing a message from God to Daniel. And it's a message to every believer. It's a message to every servant of God. Every person who is a believer in Jesus Christ who is now a servant of God. And that is no matter how we see things in life, no matter how we see things overall when we look at, the, at, at prophetic issues, especially as we press toward the last days or press into the last days or press through the last days as we're doing now. Ours is not to fear. Ours is to trust and to rest in the God who has already conquered from beginning to end. So the message is, fear not Daniel for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God. Thy words were heard, and I'm come for thy word. In other words, I've come because from the first day we heard your prayers. We talked about this last week, about how God hears our prayers immediately. We may not get the answer immediately, but God hears our prayers immediately. And then he says this, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia... Uh, can you all see this without the elephant in the way? Because the elephant's in my way. <laughs> but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, which is twenty-one days, of course, which is three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. Michael has been called and identified as an archangel. We know Michael then as well to be the prince or the angel over the nation of Israel. And it took Michael and Gabriel to deal with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Not talking about a person, it's talking about 
a demon or a, a, a being, a principality, a power, as it were. And then it says, Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And so now we see what this, this whole deal is about, what this whole struggle is about, and that is that Daniel is speaking directly to, or, or, or Gabriel as the messenger is speaking directly to Daniel about the people of Israel. And I said last time, it's not speaking about the church. It's, not, it's, it's, it's plainly speaking about Israel in the latter days. Well, that was not speaking of the time of Israel in Daniel's time, but in a time that was yet to come. It wasn't speaking of Israel only at the time of Jesus, but of a time even further than that. And again, we know this if we go back to chapter 9 and deal with the time frame of the 70 weeks of years. The 490 years, 483, that would, that would uh, pass until the day of Jesus and being cut off, remaining uh, therefore a, a seven-year period which has yet to take place. We'll see more about that a little bit in the next chapter. And the setup to that, and that's why I want to spend that time next week in that introduction for it. For yet the vision is for many days. In other words, those years that the vision is about, in other words, the, the, the remainder of the time, because he's already told us how far you know, into the, uh, uh, the judgment they would come when, it, when, when Messiah would come the first time. But, uh, you know, in other words, there's a lot of days, but it's still coming. In other words, the time is going to be fulfilled. And then in verse 15, it says, And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb. In other words, he couldn't say a word. He, he just, he, he was once again overwhelmed by the presence of this angel, overwhelmed by the message that is coming to him uh, through, uh, from the Lord. And behold, it says, one like the similitude of the sons of men, speaking of angelic beings, touched my lips. And then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, <clears throat> by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me, and I have retained no strength. In other words, it has just completely emptied him out of strength to be in this battle. Now remember, he's 90 years old, or thereabouts. And he's drained spiritually. Have you ever prayed over some great issue, whether it be a personal issue or prayed for someone, and, and you've prayed yourself to the point of exhaustion? You've prayed yourself to the point of having no strength whatsoever. And you feel like you have to continue, but you can't. You can't, you, you can't seem to focus. You can't seem to put your mind on what you need to put it, put it on. And, and yet Daniel has someone to, to tell him, I, I'm, by the vision, my sorrows are turned upon me. In other words, I'm just completely sorrowful over this, and I've just lost all my strength. I've retained no strength. For how can the servant of this, my Lord, talk... With this, my Lord, I can, I can, I talk to you. For as for me, straightway or immediately, there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. And then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man. And he strengthened me and said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee. Be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. You know, when the word of the Lord comes, in any prayerful situation, and you find yourself empty and the word of the Lord comes to you, or the, the encouragement of the Lord's word, that's why I always like to encourage people, when you pray, pray with your Bible open. Because that's the way the word of the Lord is going to come to you. In many ways, it will come that way. 
But when we, when we stay in prayer with that word wide open, the word strengthens us. And here the word of the Lord strengthened him. And then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia? And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come, which is Greece, was yet not a power, by the way. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Okay. So that's the remainder of the chapter, somewhat verse by verse. We'll again touch on some of those last verses in just a moment. But I want to consider a quick review here for the importance of understanding the rest of this book. For the importance of understanding the rest of Daniel, which is Daniel chapter 11 and 12. Two more, two more chapters. And the first thing is that all, time, all end time prophecy is centered in the book of Daniel. All end time prophecy is centered in the book of Daniel. And the reason why we can say that confidently is because of what we learned in chapter 9. Especially in verses 24 through 27, the longest verses in the chapter and the last part of the chapter and the strength and or the strength of that chapter was this prophecy that came from the Lord to Daniel about the end times. So all end time prophecy is centered in the book of Daniel. And secondly, the book of Revelation simply unseals the book of Daniel. The book of Revelation simply unseals the book of Daniel. Now remember, if you'll, if you'll go just forward over to chapter 12 for just a moment, verse 4, <clears throat> you'll notice <clears throat> that toward the end of the book that the Lord says to, uh, to Daniel, but thou, in, uh, Daniel 12, 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge <clears throat> shall be increased. So, what we find then, of course, from that, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend time studying that particular verse, but this is just a, a, rem- a reminder to us, Daniel says, sealed, uh, or Daniel is told to seal the book. In other words, complete the book. The book is completed when it's sealed. But there will be a time when it will be open, and, and it is the book of Revelation, of course, that opens the book of Daniel. And we study the book of Revelation first, if you remember, and now we come to see uh, the groundwork, you know, it's kind of like the way they do movies in Hollywood nowadays. You know, they'll, they'll give you a, a movie, and then they'll give you the, the prequel. You know, so this is kind of like the movie and the prequel. All right, so you get, get the book of Revelation, because we're, we're dealing with a lot of stuff going on today. And now Daniel is kind of like where it all, all, where it all began, okay? All right, well, there were two things <clears throat> that I mentioned in our last study as to where we would begin this evening. And that is, the first one is the issue of spiritual warfare and the importance and significance, secondly, the importance and significance of the nation of Persia in end-time prophecy, uh, uh, study in the light of what we see clearly in today's news and headlines. We hear a lot about Iran, and that's Persia. But I want to deal with that a lot more, and I, I, the more I studied, the more I got, the more I got, the more I realized it really has to be its own study. So that's what we're going to do next week. But we concluded our study last time with Paul's grand statement and exhortation concerning the putting on of the armor of God. And that was Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. I will come back to that in just a moment. But it is to be no mystery that there is a spiritual battle that is going on all around us, even here in this place. I think I've mentioned many times that, you know, sometimes we have this spiritual battle that, you know, we've worked all day and... and, and, and the body itself, you know, we're, we're fighting, you know, the, the, those kind of things. And then not only that, but here we are in June, and it's about 100, 100 degrees outside. And everybody, I'm, I stood out in the foyer a little earlier today, and everybody came through and said, Man, it's hot outside. <laughs> you know, most of you said that. <laughs> Man, it's hot outside. It's hot. It was hot out there. But just like I said the other day, you think it's hot here? Hmm, not that hot here. All right, so, you know, we came in and uh, there are all kinds of things that can distract us. 
The one that wants to distract us the most in this room is the enemy himself. Just because we call this a church and we come into this building doesn't mean it keeps out, you know, the, the enemy from trying to disrupt our attention or take away our understanding in some way. So we always pray that the Lord would really keep your focus and keep our focus so that we stay together where God wants us to be and trust Him to give us that wisdom as we, as we study His Word. So... As we saw that demonic forces were over the nation of Persia, so there are, in fact, principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness. And literally in Ephesians chapter 6, it's spiritual wickednesses. In other words, it's plural in, in the Greek. Spiritual wickednesses in high places functioning today in places of power and governments today. So if there were demonic forces that were somewhat over certain nations like Persia, for example, Babylon, for example, Egypt, for example, and we could name many, many others, we even the United States of America, even, uh, you know, nations in Europe. Uh, there, there is, and, and, and the more we study prophecy, the more we realize the importance that nations play in end-time prophecy. Read the book of Zechariah, and, the, and, and you find the, there are places that it talks about nations that are going to come against Israel, and God's going to judge them. So nations do play a part in, in end-time prophecy. Some of these demonic powers that we're talking about have gained a very strong influence over certain nations and the governments of these nations, and as I said, even our own. Which is why we need to be vigilant and continually pray for our nation. To wake up. Today, it's kind of like praying, let's, let's wake this nation up. It's fallen into a deep, deep slumber. Which is what the enemy tries to do to us individually, to many in the church corporately, and even greater, in a, in a greater sense, in, in the world today. Now, their purpose throughout Scripture is clear. They attempt to destroy the lives of men and women and to hinder the work of God through His people. The enemy wants to take as many people with him as he can because he, he knows his time's up. He knows his time's up. So he wants to take as many people with him that he can. But understand this. First of all, they can do nothing, and I speak of the, uh, these principalities and powers, they can do nothing without the Lord allowing them to. Understand that first. They can do nothing without the Lord allowing them to. If you recall, if you've read the book of Job, J-O-B, Job, if you've read the book of Job, you will recall that before Satan could even touch Job, because he comes even before God and says, Hey, you know this servant of yours, Job? Now, this is my account in a sense, but you know, he says, You know, I bet you I can make him curse you. You know, you protect him too much. So, we realize that before Satan could even touch Job, he had to go to God for permission. And the Lord allowed it for the purpose, when you read the full book of Job, for the purpose of strengthening Job. And this happened twice. You can read Job 1 and 2. Both, in, in both chapters, Satan comes before God. In the first chapter, he, he actually takes much of his possessions, kills his, his children. In the second uh, chapter, he attacks his own body because God lifted the hedge. But God strengthened Job through the uh, affliction. Sometimes we go through afflictions 
And, and I just, you know, I just want to tell people, I said, you know, God's with you. Doesn't feel like it. God's with you because he said he'd be with you. And I, and I don't know how high of a, he's lifted the hedge, but it happens to all of us. So that we can be drawn back to God for the strength that we need to deal with the issues and the trials and the afflictions that we go through. And you read the Psalms, and you read especially Psalm 119, where the psalmist tells us, you know, that he thanks the Lord for the allowance of it that he might keep his statutes, keep his focus on what was important in following the Lord. Now, secondly, there's... As strong as these demonic forces are, there are a host of heavenly angels that are there to watch over God's people and protect them. Now, I know a lot of people today, they like angels and they talk about angels and they gather together ceramic angels and they got angels all over their house like if those angels and, you know, are going to do. You know, angels are servants of the Lord. But we know who has the power. And we know who said, I'll be with you. But nonetheless, there are ministering angels, the Bible teaches us, that are there, sometimes unaware. But God uses them for our sake. Nonetheless, they're there to watch over us. But especially, especially Israel. One of the great accounts in the scriptures is the story of the prophet Elisha or Elisha. Not Elijah, but Elisha. The one who received the mantle from Elijah as a prophet. It was during the time when the Syrians were at war with Israel. And this general Ben-Hadad he would make these surprise raids into Israel. But, but the Lord was informing Elisha of what was going to happen. And he in turn passed on the information to the king of Israel, Joram. Now Ben-Hadad was, was enraged with his continual failure. And he, and he thought that there was this informer within his troops who was tipping off his enemies. And one of his officers spoke up and, and he said that Elisha was, was the one who had supernatural powers and reveal things. In fact, we read of this servant saying in regards to a secret informer uh, in Second in Kings, if you'll turn there, Second Kings chapter 6, verse 12, we'll start there. Second Kings, verse 6, uh, I'm sorry, Second Kings 6, verse 12. And, and when, when asked about a secret informer, the, one of his servants said, no, or none, my Lord, there are, there are not. It's not a secret informer, he says. Uh, my Lord, O King. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Wow, I guess you've got to be careful what you say in your bedchamber. But God seems to always hear, and He always knows, and He'll tell Israel. And so Ben-Hadad ordered Elisha to capture... And, to, and he sent his troops to Dothan, where the prophet was staying, which is about 12 miles north of Samaria. And they thought that, that they could sneak up on Elisha and take him by surprise. But they were in for a rude awakening. Look, uh, if you will, at verse 14. It says, Therefore sent he, hit, uh, there, uh, therefore sent he their horses and chariots and a great host. In other words, a large contingency, a large army. And they came by night and compassed the city about. All of Dothan was surrounded by this Syrian army. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots, and his servant, this is the servant of Elisha the prophet, his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? I mean, how are we go- what are we going to do? We're surrounded. 
And he answered, Fear not. Remember those words? The words that the angel gave to Daniel? Fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And I'm sure the servant said to Elisha, What, pray tell, Master, have you been drinking? Because you're seeing things I can't see. I see the Syrian army. And they're surrounding the city and there's a whole bunch of them and they're coming after you. But he said, fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And in verse 17 it says, and Elisha prayed. But notice what he prayed for. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes. Sorry about the giraffe. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. Open my servant's eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. God opened his eyes to show him greater principalities and powers. Because these principalities and powers, as it were, came from God himself. These were the heavenly hosts of God's army. Sometimes the Lord opens our eyes to see where our faith needs to be placed. Because too often we we live in a time where we see things and we wonder where God is. Or why things happen as if God didn't know about it. Or why things happen and God didn't do something about it. Or something terrible might take place and why isn't there someone there? Why isn't the Lord Himself there? Why isn't somebody or anything there? And this is what, this is what places people who are supposed to be people of faith in a place of unbelief and fear. And I would hope that we would all at one point in time have our eyes opened to see the armies of God. Because there are more of them than there are of the enemy. And even if we were supposed to deal with numbers, let's just say we, we, we dealt in, in an issue of numbers here. Uh, if, if, uh, if Lucifer himself was cast out of heaven with a third of his angels, that still means there were two-thirds of God's angels around. If we dealt with numbers. We don't know what a third of, the, of those armies are, but two-thirds have to be pretty good size too. The point is, do not fear. God has you covered. But do not take that for granted. Trust in the Lord. Pray. Seek His face. The Lord's heavenly hosts, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> the Lord's armies were there, ready and waiting. No one but Elisha could see him until Elisha prayed for his servant to see him. They were there to protect the servant of the Lord and in effect as well protect his people. 
But that is why the prophet Elisha could be calm when the enemy surrounded him. And isn't it, isn't it great how God took care of the enemy? Because if you read on, think about this. When you read on, you see that he blinded the enemy and then they were led, to, uh, they were led by the prophet Elisha to Samaria and brought them before King Joram. But instead of destroying them, he laid out a feast which was symbolic of a peace covenant which lasted for a time with the Syrians. Just read on, you know, Second Kings 6. And so you see, spiritual warfare is real. And we must be prepared for it. We need to be prepared for it. Now last week we ended with, with the passage from Ephesians chapter 6. I just want to use a few verses this this evening, that's verses 10 through 13. So turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And again, this relates very much so with, with Daniel because of what Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he says to the church in Ephesus, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong in the Lord. In other words, not in your own strength. Not by might or power, but by thy spirit, or by my spirit, I should say, say the Lord. Not by might or power, but by my spirit. So when we're told, be strong in the Lord, that means we need to surrender ourselves to the strength of God. To the strength of the Lord himself. Submit ourselves to the strength of God and to His power and to His might. Why? Why should we do that? Well, what's the opposite of being strong? Well, it's being weak. And what do we fight every day of our lives as believers? The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And we have flesh. And we're in flesh. And it just reminds us of the spiritual life that we now have in the Lord. If we're born again of the Spirit of God. We're, we are alive in Christ. If we say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith, uh, the, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And in all of those words, what we're saying is, listen, we have to die to ourselves every day so that Christ will live in us victoriously. He's already won the battle. I mean, he's already victorious. We need to live our lives victoriously. We live our lives victoriously when we die to ourselves. Because when we're trying to be alive in the, in, in the course of things, sometimes we get in our own way. Right? The flesh gets in our own way. If we trip up, who do we trip over? We didn't trip over the Lord. We tripped over ourselves. So we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Don't put on half of it. Don't put on the parts you just like. Sometimes we just, you know, some people like certain parts of the Bible. That's all they ever read. They might know them by heart, but they don't know anything else. The Lord says we need to be filled with all of His Word filled with all of His Spirit, filled with all of His might, filled with all of His power, filled with all of His love and all of His grace. So if we're going to go into a spiritual battle, we need to put on all of His armor, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the devil is wily. Wily. Wily coyote. Or is that... Yeah, Wiley Coyote. He's worse than Wiley Coyote. For we wrestle not. This is where the church gets tangled up in all kinds of things. We wrestle with flesh a lot. 
I think we've been too, we've been too uh, primed and tempered by WWE or something, you know. Always wanted to wrestle somebody. Try to figure out a way to wrestle the flesh, you know. It ain't going to work. Those contentions just show that the enemy has gotten in, thrown wedges in, in between people, trying to get them to, you know, uh, get upset about one thing or another. And Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against these principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickednesses in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. There's a second reminder, and I went over this last time too. Take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. So, we are to withstand, and we are to stand. The Christian life facing the onslaught of the enemy is one of standing. It is one of withstanding because the fiery darts of the wicked are going to be headed our way no matter what. That's just the way it's going to be in this life. So we have to have the whole armor of God. And he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. There we go. That's as far as we're going there. I went ahead, I went ahead a little bit because my finger got really happy. So we'll stop here. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So our fight is against the spiritual realm. Our fight is against the spiritual realm, but we can't play Rambo. Many of you remember Rambo. Anybody remember Rambo? We can't play Rambo and blow away the enemy with guns and bombs. I mean, it just, that's not the way spiritual warfare is done. In other words, not with carnal or human weapons. So listen now to Paul's words in regards to this battle that we're in. Okay, go back to the one verse I had before. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Alright, that's obvious, right? We walk in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh because we're now living spiritual beings. See, if we really came to the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what was dead is now alive, which was our, our, our spirit and our heart, then we have to live by a different standard and we live in a different way, totally. We don't war after the flesh. But you know what? We do war, don't we? But we don't war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They are mighty through God. And once again... To understand this, we don't fight the battle as if we're the ones that have the might or the power. Our weapons are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. And folks, that's a big deal when it comes to spiritual warfare, is what the enemy puts into the minds of people <clears throat> that are in reality not reality. They are imaginations, speculations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now these weapons that Paul is talking about are available now to make us ready for spiritual warfare. So when you go back, if you're still in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're not going to go look at each verse here because we've done it before, but I'm going to touch upon the armor and the pieces of armor very quickly. So that would take us uh, into 
verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 of Ephesians 6. So now we have these weapons available. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. So we're called to gird our waist with truth. To gird our waist with truth. It's always significant, the first in a list of things. Now, the list can grow in significance. It can grow in um, uh, importance. Not to say that the first is not important. Sometimes there are lists that start with the most important thing and give us a lot of other things, or it starts with, with uh, you know, a, a lesser type of thing, not that, that it's not important, but, but it grows to the most important one. But this is important to start with, to gird up your waist with truth. And it speaks to the believer's integrity and faithfulness. It speaks to the believer's integrity and faithfulness, the belt of truth. Just as a soldier uh, has a belt, and a soldier's belt gave, back in those days, in, in Paul's time, the soldier's belt gave ease of freedom and movement because it girded up this skirt or whatever, and, and he would tie it out of the way so that they could run or they could fight in whatever manner, but it, it girded it up. It, it got it out of the way. It gave ease of freedom and movement to fight. So truth does in our lives to keep us from being entangled with lies, to be entangled in lies. The Lord doesn't want us entangled in lies anymore. This is why truth is so important. When Jesus said who he was, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. And, 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 and the whole idea is that we need to live by truth now because he's truth. No longer do we deal with lies because lies is about ourselves. Lies is about selfishness. Lies is about protecting ourselves. Lies is about protecting our, you know, our, our reputation. But we don't matter anymore in the sense of, of, of ourselves being of any great importance. What matters is that we know Jesus Christ and He becomes the leader of our lives. He becomes the master of our life. He becomes the teacher of our life. He becomes the strength of our life. He becomes everything that we need for life and godliness in everything. So now we can tell the truth. And I think one of the greatest truths that we tell is that we are nothing and He's everything. One of the great truths that we can tell is what John Newton stated in his own great hymn. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. He also said in his journals that he was a great sinner, but he had a great Savior. We have a great Savior. And we can stand on truth because he's truth in our lives. Then there is the breastplate of righteousness. So we begin with truth and we continue with righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. And just as the soldier's breastplate protected their chest from the attacks of the enemy. And what, what is it in the chest that matters so much? <laughs> the vital organs and especially the heart. The vital organs are protected. And in that we are told that it is righteousness that protects the heart. So just as a soldier's breastplate protected the chest from the attacks of the enemy, so does righteous living in that it guards our hearts against the assaults of the devil. 
It is the practical righteousness of daily living. We know what is right, do what is right. We know what is right. Because we serve a righteous God. We're told in in 1 John chapter 2 verses 28 and 29, And now little children, abide in Him. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Dwell in. Dwell completely in Christ. And we're not just to dwell in Christ, but we're to allow Christ to dwell in us. Abide in Him that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. No, first of all, thank God that He forgives our sins. And thank the Lord that when He forgives our sins, He's faithful and just in forgiving our sins so that we can begin afresh and anew to walk right before the Lord. See, the idea is is not to be forgiven and then to go on to another thing to be forgiven about and then, okay, well, I'm forgiven. Now go to another thing to be forgiven about. No, it's be forgiven so you can live right now and do what's right. And then, because He's coming again. See, we emphasize this a lot, don't we, when we talk about the fact that Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, what does it mean to be ready? It It means, are we living right before God? It isn't just that we're up on the latest, uh, you know, uh, eschatological, theological thing about the end time. Always we teach, okay, this is what's going to be happening, this is what's, ha- this is what's going to happen, this is when it's going to happen possibly and, and whatnot, but here's the thing. By the time we get to the end of all of that, we say, now be ready. Because it can, you know, Jesus can come at any moment. Look at verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. So is this not important? It's very important. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. And we're not being righteous or we're not doing right things because we want to be saved We do right things because we are saved. You do understand that, right? That you don't work for your salvation, you work from your salvation. So you have to come to the Lord first, you have to be saved first. But once you are, once you have a new life and a new heart in the Lord and a new spirit and and you're filled with His Spirit and and you're ready to serve Him, now you work uh, from your salvation, not for salvation, but from salvation. So now you do righteousness because He's righteous and He's in you. So how it is important for that righteousness to protect our hearts. And then we are to have feet that are shod with the gospel of peace. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, you don't get up and, and put on your, your best shoes and then just your whole aim then after putting on those wonderful, new, expensive, shiny shoes is to go and sit on your recliner and turn on the TV in the re, with a remote, you know. You got your shoes on and then you go sit. No, shoes indicate something, don't they? Shoes indicate walking and going. Walking is, 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 is representative of living and going with a message. Going as a servant. Going as a messenger. So it speaks of the soldier now being sure-footed. If we're talking about battle... We need to be sure-footed in the heat of battle, just as our feet should be firmly planted in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Word of God 
which will give us peace in times of warfare. We want peace in the times of our struggles. We need to be in the Word of God. Now, the gospel of peace, of course, is the message that we carry. It is a message that we want to bring to those who need the Lord. But, again, we're looking at a piece of the armor. And to some extent, it's also defensive. Why? Because you have to be sure-footed to keep moving away from the things of the enemy. So we have the good news and the Word of God to do that, to help us in, in doing that and achieving that. And then comes the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Our faith in the Lord will be able to put out all the fiery doubts of doubt, uh, the fiery darts of doubt, the fiery darts of fear and despair that the devil can fire at us, just as the, sh- uh, the soldier's shield would protect them from the flaming arrows shot at, at them. You know, we must rest our whole weight upon the Lord because that is what faith is, resting upon the Lord. The shield of faith is that which quenches the darts of the wicked. Our trust, putting our full weight of trust in the Lord, quenches the, the, the fiery darts of doubt. That's hard to say, darts of doubt. I think I said doubts of darts, but whatever. It's the fiery darts of doubt. The darts of fear. The darts of unbelief. The darts of despair. We have to rest in the Lord. And we rest when we trust. We're told in the book of Hebrews that the children of Israel did not enter into rest because of unbelief. They did not enter into rest because of unbelief. Then there's the helmet of salvation. I said the the helmet of salvation. Please disregard that. I was typing so furiously. I had so many things happening all of the day. And I was just like, people were calling me and interrupting. I was like, well, I'm trying to finish this thing. My, My apologies. My notes actually say helmet of salvation. I don't know what I was thinking there. The hammer of salvation. Get out of the way. I'm coming. I want to save you. Come here. (laughs) Let's forget that one. All right. Go back to shield faith. But let's talk about the helmet of salvation. (laughs) The helmet, of course, (laughs) protected the soldier's head. (laughs) Not the helmet. (laughs) So as we put on our helmet we have the hope of salvation and therefore the enemy can never take that away from us the enemy can never take it away understand that put the helmet of salvation on he never can take it away it's been said that the helmet of salvation is that great hope of final salvation that gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggle with Satan will not last forever and we will be victorious in the end. We will be victorious in the end. All right, skip the hammer and let's go on to the sword of the Spirit. Okay. <laughs> uh, there are only two offensive weapons. I mentioned this last time. Two offensive weapons that we have. And one of them is this Sword, which is actually, the word that was used was for a short sword. It's a little sword. Short sword, but dangerous. (laughs) The short sword was was used in hand-to-hand combat. And thus we must have the knowledge of the Word of God and use it in hand-to-hand combat against the enemy. For the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. If you remember when, and I think I mentioned this on Sunday as well, 
that when Jesus was in the, in the wilderness uh, tem- being tempted 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan came to him, Satan tempted him, and every answer that, that Jesus gave him was the Word of God. Every answer came from the Word of God. So, remember the importance of the sword of the Spirit. Lastly, prayer is the heavy artillery. Prayer is the heavy artillery. This is something that the soldier may not have used, in other words, prayer, but we as Christians should use, and it is our second offensive weapon. It is not listed in the armor usually, but it is vital in our lives. Notice that this whole section ends in verse 18 with prayer. Pray with prayer and supplication. Prayer loosens the power of God. And it binds the power of the enemy. It, it, it sets loose the power of God and it binds the enemy. It is a weapon that is launched into the enemy camp before the military marches in. And so, as I said last time, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It is getting God's will done on earth. And all this would then be the foundation in understanding verses 12 through 14 of our text. Let me just read them because I know that we've already studied this, but I'm going to start in verse 13. It says, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days, the the, uh, twenty-one days, the three weeks. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. And when he had spoken such words unto me, I set my face toward the ground, and I became dumb, or just completely wiped out and silent. But the good angel, which is probably, who is probably Gabriel, with the help of Michael, the archangel, over the nation of Israel, would be left in a place of preeminence or supremacy. That's what he talks about back in, in verse 13 when he says, uh, and I remain there with the kings of Persia. Not that he was overseeing now Persia, because Persia did not get any better uh, in the sense of its uh, spiritual uh, life, but would be there in regards to the prophet. But the battle over the control of the nations would obviously continue. And as for Daniel, he realized the great significance of the Lord's plans for this people Israel, and once again he fainted and was unable to speak. It's quite significant that everything that Daniel did, praying and fasting, was actually what Jesus taught his disciples to do in confronting demonic forces. Jesus told his disciples that, uh, that certain uh, demonic entities could not uh, be cast out without prayer and fasting. There was that man who brought his son to Jesus and he says, you know, my son is a lunatic and he's, he's sore or vexed, you know. And your, your disciples try to pray, you know, pray this this spirit or this thing out of him and they couldn't do it and uh, you know the Lord said oh you know kind of rebuked them but he said in Matthew 17 verse 21 how be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting so when dealing with these kinds of issues that's when that's when prayer needs to take place and if need be we have to fast we need to get our full attention even to our body to get you know, our focus in praying uh, against these, these particular things that can attack us uh, very hard uh, in a spiritual way. So if our Lord Jesus Christ took seriously the reality of Satan and his, demo- his demonic forces, so should we, so must we, take seriously this battle uh, with demonic forces. And the Lord also knows what we need when we need it in terms of need for strength and peace after battles of this nature. Let's read on in verses 16 through 19. And behold, one like the similitude of the sons of men touched my lips. Again, speaking of, a, of, a, uh, of an angelic being. And then I opened my mouth and spake and said unto him that stood before me, O my Lord, by the vision my sorrows are turned upon me and I have uh, retained no strength. For how can the servant of this my Lord talk with this my Lord? 
For as for me, straightway there remained no strength in me, neither is there breath left in me. And then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. Again, this was not the Lord God himself, but this was an angel. And said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be unto thee, be strong, yea, be strong. And when he had spoken unto me, I, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for thou hast strengthened me. And then said he, oh, we'll, we'll get to that one in just a second. So Daniel's weakness was revealed, and then his weakness was removed. Notice, a weakness will be revealed, and through prayer, a weakness will be removed. Now, this is simple, but profound. And it wasn't so much the touch. The touch just awakened him. It was the words that strengthened Daniel. It was God's words that strengthened Daniel through the, through the, the angel, but nonetheless, it was God that strengthened Daniel. <clears throat> words that assured Daniel of the place that he held in the heart of God. When that happens for us, we are made more ready to listen to whatever the Lord has for us. And this angel had much more to say to him. Notice in the next two verses, it says, Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. So the angel made it clear that the battle wasn't over quite yet. A couple of interesting things can be noted here. One thing is that the demonic forces of Greece were already at work some 200 years before Greece actually came to power. So realize how even in, in, in the building of nations, the enemy's already working and being allowed to work. Another thing of great importance is that Judah and Israel would not be left defenseless and unprotected. The reason that Daniel had been overwhelmed by the knowledge uh, as to what would happen to his people and fainted because of that, uh, that was the reason. Because he was worried that Israel would be left defenseless. But the Lord reassured him of Michael. Michael was tasked with championing their cause. So we'll, we'll introduce chapter uh, 11 next time with a look at Persia's place in history and in modern events, as well as Greece's place in this prophecy. And, and, I, and I tell you this, you don't want to miss this part because uh, of the, the revelations that, that, uh, that can come from what we see in Iran today. And I mean, Iran is one of our greatest enemies. You know, uh, the U.S. Is, was called by the Ayatollahs, you know, the great Satan and the little Satan is Israel, you know. And, uh, but Why? Why, why is this hatred so strong in that, in that regard? And the things that we've discovered in, 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 in researching in uh, Persia and Iran will, will just uh, shock you, awaken you, blow your mind, as some people say. It, it's, it's amazing. But it, it involves things that happened not too many years ago in the 1930s with Germany and Hitler, and, and, and there's, there's just some tremendous historical connections that, that uh, we don't want to miss. Well, there's one thing to always keep in mind when, when in the midst of these overwhelming revelations and prophecies, and I just want to leave you with this. This is our encouragement for this evening. Uh, in Revelation 11, verse 15, A and B, it says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Please remember that. All right? Remember that when you're thinking about all these things that we talked about, especially the hammer of salvation. Please remember that. You see, that could, that could, have, been a, that could have been a spiritual attack, but it's okay. You know, we, we, we got past that. Um, there's a lot of things, you know, that could be distracting us, but you know what? We handled, I think, we handled it all pretty well. So, 
Just make sure now when you go to talk to your friends about Jesus that you don't take the hammer of salvation. Take them the Word of God and then allow them to take, put on the helmet of salvation. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you so much that sometimes you do use the hammer to wake us up and get us to focus our attention, Lord, on the things that you've already done, the things that you're doing and preparing to do in the last days. <sighs> Father, I just, I just pray that you will... Help us to remember, retain, Lord, the most important things about spiritual warfare, about the things that, Lord, matter the most in our lives, which is not who we are, but who you are. We take hold of that, Lord. Father, we pray that you, Lord, will... Heal us where we need healing. Cleanse us where we need cleansing. Purify us, Lord, where we need to be purified. And fill us, Lord, where we are empty and in need of your grace and mercy and truth. These things, Lord, we ask humbly and confidently in Jesus' name. Amen.